It's the Pacific Rim Pro Wrestling Podcast, the podcast that takes you from Seattle to Tokyo, at all points throughout history. It's Dream Valley from the Seattle area, and we head across the Pacific Rim, the Pacific Ocean, to Tokyo, Japan, and Japan's leading journalist, author, and historian, Fumi Saito. Fumi, how are you? Hello from Tokyo. Hello, Jim. Hey, are you staying cool? Oh, yeah, inside, I'm not going anywhere. It's like a crazy hot and humid in Tokyo. And just like J.O.Y. taking days off, this, you know, the word heat stroke sounds scary, isn't it? And it's just, yeah. just this whole thing, you get sick by standing outside more than 10 minutes. Well, you and I have been talking about it because every conversation I have is about you wanting to stay inside and we talk about <laughs> staying hydrated and when I saw the Jay White story, I immediately thought of you. Oh, you know, yeah, just you just don't go outside. I mean... This has been, I mean, this has been an extended so heat wave in Japan. And also, actually, COVID number is really, really high right now in Tokyo. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. And I guess part different parts of the world, you know, completely stop wearing masks, right? Yeah. I mean, but the COVID situation hasn't changed all that much. It's just people who decided not to wear masks anymore. I live uh, in a supposed quote-unquote good area for distancing and masks, and it's not very good. And our hospitals, you know, I was just in the hospital a few weeks ago, and that hospital was packed. I saw it myself. And um, so, yeah, even though a lot of people are vaccinated, you know, and you may not die from it, uh, you know, I don't want to spend weeks or, you know, 10 days being sick. It's just miserable either way. So. Yeah, yeah. Of course, wearing masks is uncomfortable. Right. You know, especially in this weather. But uh, yeah, I was watching Angels and uh, that that uh, the baseball game this you know this my my this morning that the live from you know from Oakland that the Shohei Otani Angels nobody's in stadium wearing mask the audience. Well, <laughs> if you're outdoors, I mean, the thing is, like with me, you know, I'm immunocompromised, so I've got to wear a mask everywhere, and you know, a lot of well, people you aren't. Should yeah, well, especially you have to I gotta be, be careful. careful. Yeah, yeah, I got to be careful. But you're staying hydrated in the heat? Yes, and drink a lot of water, drink a lot of coffee like I always do, and, yeah, staying home and, uh, yeah, writing and doing the podcast and, uh, get, you know, that uh, do everything at, inside pretty much at home. And Kiki's getting enough water? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm making sure, yeah. Okay, good. All right, well, hopefully you're going to stay safe. Um, we got some sad news. The passing yes. of one of the most legendary figures in the history of any combat sport, MMA, wrestling, professional mm -hmm. wrestling, Judo Jean LaBelle. Right. His accomplishment has been rather overlooked. That he, he has he's been so influential. Well, last five, ten years, probably last five years or so. He's been uh, re-evaluated re re as a as somebody who taught Ronda Rousey judo. He was a judo Jean LaBelle coached Ronda Rousey, so his name came up more often than that. That you know, last five years or so. But he's been very, very um, um, influential in not just wrestling, but the combat sport and also Hollywood movie stunt coordinator. coordinator. Yeah, he's appeared in a ton of movies. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, just about every, you know, like a martial arts, judo, karate, kind of like a fighting scene, he's involved. He or, was involved. Or a lot of times when Hollywood would need pro wrestling scenes, they do it at the old right, Olympic. Right, like a B movies. Yeah. Yeah, he's so involved. Yeah. I remember the one and only. Jitsu. Like uh, after this, you know, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu thing came up that uh, people started, you know, looking for more of a master outside of Gracie and uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. When you look for West Western English-speaking martial arts instructor, you'll find Judo Jean LaBelle. Just in, in Hollywood, of course. Yeah, I mean, the, the movie uh, cred credentials that he has, his credits... 
I go on and on and on. Oh, um, so many. He may not be on screen, but if you you know see the credit and at the end end the movie you will find judo jean labelle's name in a lot a lot a lot of movies you know he influenced roddy piper uh piper and he were close yep. for a time when piper wrestled in california um a lot of people gosh it's incredible yeah for back to ronda rousey again that the when she, when she wanted to use rowdy ronda rousey name that she went you know she's gone through G- judo jean labelle right. to get to roddy piper yeah, yeah, and also w- that he is Judo Jean Labelle in Japan is most famous for being a referee of 1976 Antonio Inoki Muhammad Ali fight. That's right. He was a referee all the, all 15 rounds, and he that had to be him him to handle that situation. Like un- walking to unknown, right? It's complete shoot situation between professional wrestler and, and Muhammad Ali, professional boxer. You, you'll never know what's going to happen. It had to be Judo Jean Labelle to be in the middle of the, these two superstars. I know, Very interesting. A known commodity, someone they both knew and trusted, and then someone who could, in case things went south, could take matters into his yeah. own hands. So he was a professional wrestler. He was a professional in- instructor in judo. He was a promoter. He was author of many books. And I mean, he's done so many. And the useless trivia, if you look uh, look through old, old photo of Ricky Dozen's trip to California, uh, especially Los Angeles Olympic Auditorium, you always find young Jean LaBelle right, standing right next to Ricky Dozen. Isn't that interesting? What about uh, wrestling in Japan? Mm. He never actually wrestled here. Really? Right, right. I mean, like, did he have a tour? No, he never came as a wrestler. That's surprising. That's why he's been o- overlooked, you know, because rest- like, uh, being wrestler working in the ring wasn't really his like main deal. He was always involved in Mike LaBelle, Gene LaBelle, California promotion. Right. Sometimes he was referee. Sometimes he was promoter. Sometimes he was in, involved in a lot of things, creative. But uh, being in the ring and being the main event wasn't really his thing because he was already referee when he was young. Right. But you figure yeah. so many people went to California on their way to Japan. You figure he'd make the trip maybe just for kicks at some point, I figured. Uh, I, I believe he was involved in, in a lot of creative, you know, when... Antonio Inoki's version of New Japan Pro Wrestling had a lot of business with Mike LaBelle's company in, in Olympic Auditorium, that he was al- always there. He was always there. Gotcha. Yeah, very interesting one. You know, that uh, he's been rather overlooked. I mean, his accomplishment? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, so many people are remembering him today. Paul Lazenby, uh, so many people I've seen yeah, all right, over Twitter. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Of all over Twitter. I mean, all the because people that he coached. touched so many lives. Yeah. Not just wrestling, but boxing, kickboxing, professional martial arts, and the movie industry, and judo, right. and and the publishing, like a judo textbooks, and the instruction videos. Yeah. It's very funny. The story that I'm seeing all over social media associated with Gene LaBelle is when he choked out actor Steven Seagal. Ah, okay. Very good. Yeah. Don't mess with Gene LaBelle. Everybody knows that. Right, right. Like a grumpy old guy. <laughs> Just like a strong old guy. It's like, yeah, you know. strong old guy, yeah. It's like, don't mess with Danny Hodge. Don't mess with Gene LaBelle. It's just. Oh, like, a, like a, you know, the, the Karate Kids, Mr. Miyagi kind of thing. Right. You know, he don't want to be famous, but uh, right. anybody who knows him knows about him. Yeah. What he can do to you. I'm sure Dave <laughs> will have a lot. Oh, like a, yeah, reminds me of like a, your martial arts or Zen master type. I'm sure Dave will have a lot on Judo Gene LaBelle and Wrestling Observer Radio. Oh, and the the bio, Observer. I'm looking for reading yeah. what, what no, Dave would write Just next week. So many pages. So many pages, I'm sure. Oh, very educational. Because 
you and I talked talked about this, you know, a while ago. That the, today's audience, you know, uh, just the, the, the attention span so short that the, it's really hard to sit and read the entire Observer now, right? I mean, so many words every week. It's and, always uh, thorough. The, always thorough. Oh yeah, because some people still order printed version of Wrestling Observer, and I uh, myself, I rather read printed version of Wrestling Observer rather than uh, scrolling the computer screen. But uh, before you read the entire issue, the next issue will come. <laughs> he puts in a lot of work, Dave does. Oh yes, yes. He's a machine. You gotta, you have to respect Dave for all of his work. Oh, so I'm a writer. So if you if you have to sit down and write that many words every week, and uh, it comes out every week, but it's not like you he, you have all seven days to be able to publish that the printed version of Wrestling Observer every week. You have to be able to do that within five days writing. So uh, are you working on anything these days? Yes, the, I'm I'm already working on the next book. What's the next? You book? know that the Inoki Baba book came oh, out, right? Yes. You know, yeah, a couple months ago, I started writing Ricky Dozen book this time. Oh wow! Yeah, our generation's interpretation. Oh, because books been written and the movies been made and so many things have been said and and written about Ricky Dozen. What's new? But uh, we need new version of this clean, complete. Uh, interpretation of what Ricky Dozen, I mean, not just who Ricky Dozen was, but the, what Ricky Dozen meant in the whole wrestling industry and into Japanese culture, post-war culture, and the TV media, and the whole, the whole thing. And I'm working on it. Can't wait to uh, read that. I'm sure that'll be great for people to... Uh, yeah, and whole, I'm out. hoping somebody will translate because uh, somebody, I mean, people always ask me, is Inoki Baba book be, you know, will be in English? Uh, are you, uh, aren't you going to translate? You cannot translate your own book. It's like writing another book again, right? We need to get more of your yeah, books translated in English. Yeah, we, always, we always have this conversation. It's impossible. We always have this conversation. Anyway, you do okay. We do, we do, but that's okay. We'll have it again, I'm sure. Yeah, but uh, I'm working on the Ricky Dozen and uh, this for this next generation because what's been written about Ricky Dozen that it will be, I mean, it's been written and it was like a 1960s book, 1970s book, or 1990s book, or the written by something you know, non wrestling people, or um written by Korean writer or that the movie made by Koreans or uh, that the documentary writer who has nothing to do with wrestling business. And, uh, you know, it's not a, for, you know, for us. So I want to write Ricky Dozen's book for us, for our generation to under, to have better understanding in the big picture thing. Hey, something I think we need an understanding of that I think there's some, confusion about the brand new announcement of the IWGP women's title what women's is title yeah this, let's talk about this IWGP women's title I mean as main topic of tonight <laughs> you know episode because it's it's a big news and uh, details are still sketchy um, it's, um, it's IWGP women's title you know that was announced a couple of weeks ago with the strat, you know, st strategic meeting conference, uh, the, the press conference, and announced by Kidani of Bushiroad. Okay, and it's rather um, Kidani's brainchild than Rossi, you know, Rossi Ogawa's idea. We're gonna make that clear. Interesting. Course, that the IWGP Women's Title will be handled by Stardom, obviously. Right. And both New Japan Pro Wrestling and Stardom are under the same umbrella that uh, Kidani's Bushiroad company. But not necessarily sister company. They've worked together, but they never really had this uh, that the combined show. Oh, they will have November 20th at the uh, new Ariake, Ariake Arena. They will have Stardom in New Japan 
that uh, joint show for the first time in no November 20th of this year. And that will be the night to, to crown new IWGP Women's Championship. It's already announced. But uh, what's not clear is that uh, is IWGP Women's Championship would be part of stardom or that this IWGP Women's title would be just used when New Japan and stardom work together. Or is this IWGP Women's title be just used for overseas purpose? When the stardom champion, that the, well, obviously that the IWGP Women's Championship will, will be held by stardom, you know, wrestler and superstar, right? I mean, they haven't announced any other company, I mean, women's company being involved. And since this was announced by Bushiroad, uh, you know, you know Bushiroad company Kidani that the IWGP Women's uh, title will be you know decided and it will automatically people assumed it was Stardom's championship, but the Stardom itself hasn't announced any more than that. Okay, and also this loyal fan base of Stardom are like wondering, they see Stardom already have all these important titles: red belt uh, and white belt. And the world tag team belts and uh, that the uh, six women's t- title belt and high speed belt is just too many belts. And this IWGP women's title be being placed above red belt. Mm, the red belt has, has its own history, and that uh, you know, always number one contender's position being you know, fought over. And the Shuri is great champion right now. And uh, well, the Utami, the, the former champion was you know, Utami Hayashista. She was a really great champion. And loyal, loyal fan base of Stardom will always look at Red Belt as the you know the, the biggest title. And then where would this IWGP Women title be uh, placed? Is this the second position title? Then that is not going to be IWGP Women's. Title. IWGP sound like your number one championship belt, right? Are you with me on that? Yeah, no, it does sound like the world title, like because you associated yeah, like with undisputed the top of the line, top of the line, or above all championship belt. So it's like I don't think Kidani really, you know, thought you know well on this, or like a really planned, or that. Uh, the value orientation of women's championship. And uh, they just came up with the idea itself, just the idea that the, that the, there should be a IWGP women's division title. Okay, that's fine. But w- w- what English-speaking world don't know is that in Japan, no, that the women's pro wrestling had its own evolution. Are you with me? Right. Yeah. Men's rest, professional wrestling and women's professional wrestling, they never really crossed path in this country, in Japan. That uh, Rick, Obviously, Ricky Dozan started the men's division or the, the pro wrestle, that the professional wrestling in Japan back in, what, uh, 1951. But the, actually, the first women's professional wrestling match was held in 1948, even before Ricky Dozan that uh, very little is known, but uh, yeah. And uh, up until I mean, 2022, yeah, women's wrestling in Japan and men, professional wrestling in Japan, men's I'm talking about, is a two separate history, really. Whereas Fabulous Mula's, you know, division of women's professional wrestling was always a part of men's wrestling in America. You always had one one match or two match, and there were were never that many women's wrestlers up until this recent WWE Women's Division. Now they have a lot, a lot of female wrestlers. It was a special attraction, the special attraction, a girls' match match. among ten other matches. Right, it was like Andre the Giant. You had a special girls' match. They called it. That was on right. the show. And fabulous Mura and her opponent. Right. Or two or of her in girls. The 80s, that uh, when you had the, somebody great like Jumping Bomb Angels, but they only had one opponent, the Glamour Girls. 
the same match and traveled around Horn. And right. the matches were great, but they never had women's division. And women's wrestling has always been part of men's wrestling as a product in America, right? Right. In Japan, women's company always had women's only. And uh, men's wrestling, or well, I shouldn't say men's, but just uh, pro, pro wrestling, I should say. New Japan Pro Wrestling or Pro Wrestling or All Japan Pro Wrestling or, or UWF or uh, actually Onita's FMW was the, the first company that had women's division with men's division, like, uh, you know, Megumi Kudo. But uh, that was very much uh, that the independent like mindset you know that the people accept it right away but when you talk about women's wrestling it's all japan women's prefer you know all japan women's wrestling since that the mafumiyake to beauty pair to crash girls to jaguar yokota to you know dump matsumoto to crash girls all the way to medusa to bonakano to it's all women's wrestling right they never worked with men's group up until now now that uh, you know that the Stardom and both Stardom and New Japan Pro Wrestling is under same capital, that the English-speaking world seems to think they're like uh, under the same company, but they're not. Are you with me on that? I'm with you. Yeah. So uh, it's it's completely Kidani's idea to create. Uh, IWGP Women's Title. The idea is great. That uh, oh, I'm sure he has already have business plan, and but uh, I don't think New Japan will necessarily necessary to have women's matches regularly on New Japan shows from this point forward. And so the IWGP Women's Title doesn't necessarily mean that the Stardom you know, wrestler will be working. Uh, New Japan shows. Yeah, it was very interesting. I think it was Lance Storm who said it's a women's title for a promotion that doesn't have any women. <laughs> yeah, the name IWGP, right? Right. Um, yeah, and also the for older generations fans, um, it probably ha has to be over forty-five or fifty. That IWGP is Antonio Inoki creation. Right. Yeah, like anti-establishment. She, Anthony Noki's idea to create IWGP International Wrestling Grand Prix was that it was like an anti-NWA, you know what I'm saying? Like a National Wrestling Alliance, all the, you know, the 60s and 70s and 80s, that National Wrestling Alliance World Heavyweight title was the closest thing to undisputed World Heavyweight Championship and NWA being the largest governing body of professional wrestling all over the world kind of thing. Who worked with Baba, his, his opponent, his, uh, yeah. his rival. Yeah, that's why Antonio Inoki and New Japan Pro Wrestling created I, you know, International Wrestling Grand Prix to establish like a new, um, like a value sort of. Yeah. To create the new form of undisputed the, the championship of the world kind of thing right. and uh, but the name IWGP is a history of New Japan Pro Wrestling you know what I'm saying so the way it was kind of explained to me it sounds like it's going to be defended a lot or mostly a lot in like the United States where there's an expectation of Western fans now that you will see a women's match or women's matches integrated in the show. So this IWGP title will be integrated into when the New Japan shows come to a Western audience, United States, Canada, right. what have you. The same way that a lot of English-speaking world, the right. fans in America especially, thought, why, why don't New Japan have women's division or something right. like that, right? But there's already plenty of women's wrestling that's seen at its, company. Yeah, yeah. at its own level. It's not lesser at all in Japan. Mm -hmm. It's a completely diff different entity. Right. Yeah. But for, for, this, for uh, this IWGP women's title to work, that 
uh, I'm assuming that the IWGP men's world champion, like probably Kazuchika Okada for a long time, maybe Jay White, uh, they will be working, a, you know, taking AEW pay-per-view dates, right? Both men's IWGP champion and women's IWGP champion both will be working uh, on AEW pay-per-view or New Japan st- Strong Show. Right. You know, men's IWA champion and women's IWA champion will probably appear together on American show, American soil. That would make sense. Right. That's that's what I would anticipate we will see. Right. And I wouldn't expect uh, this stardom wrestler who holds IWGP women's title that she wouldn't be defended her IWGP women's title on a regular basis for New Japan show. Probably January 4th Tokyo Dome show, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, but I don't expect Stardom Wrestler will be working New Japan tours. I mean, when they have 20, you know, 20 dates, uh, like a tour tour. Right. That uh, I don't think Stardom Wrestler will be involved in, in that kind you know, scheduling. Because... Stardom has uh, its own annual schedules. I could yeah. see some occasional exceptions, like for special occasions, um, if they want to get the belt off of someone, things like that. But yeah, no, I think generally speaking, I think you're absolutely correct. Right. And also, who's going to hold this IWGP women's belt will be very important, I mean, as to who, because that... In people's eyes, in I mean, fans, audience eyes, they will still have red belt champion in stardom, though. That should be the number one wrestler. Right now, Shuri, right? right. But the, another champion will be created, another championship, IWGP uh, Women's. Then, naturally, two champions have to meet at some point. They pretty much defeat the whole purpose, right? Quite possibly. Yeah, I mean, red belt champion against IWGP women's belt champion. That will uh, theoretically make big show main event. But what's the point of having two titles? You know, if you don't have the, the unification match or just keep people, you know, wondering which champion would be better or the above or, or which is lower or which is more important. You know, would would they let people decide that? And uh, it's just, uh, it's obviously, it was handed to Rossi, and Rossi now has to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and it's like, you talk about who can be the first champion. Do you give it to, say, Mayu Iwatani because she's the icon? That's the biggest candidate, I believe, yeah. You know, she's the icon. She's done it all in stardom. It only makes sense to cement her legacy and give her this title. Or do you pick someone like Kyrie, who is more known international to you, face, international to you, name? Yeah, to U.S. fans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But she, I don't think Kyrie will be working full time again. That's the other thing. I might be wrong, but. You know, because she's more like a Roddy Piper now. I get just that. Just Im- only makes right. like a big, you know, like a big show dates. I get that impression as well. Yeah. Wrestlers. Well, this belt will probably not be defended all of the time. It will be just sort of a big show belt, I think. Yeah, if you have, you know, title match four times a year, still it's championship, you know. Right. And, yeah. And, uh. Yeah, historically, they, you know, like New Japan had different kinds of belt. Like, you know, Inoki, while Inoki had other belts like NWF title that uh, Vincent James McMahon gave him WWF World Martial Arts belt, which was never defended in Japan. And uh, some there was like a greatest 18 belt. You know what I'm saying? Greatest 18 club belt that was never really defended, you know, but that title existed or largely forgotten after they crowned it. And, uh, but uh, they have to make, they have to treat this IWGP women's title very differently. And it will be very difficult, you know, like a perception wise, right. 
yeah, where do they place it? Above red belt or underneath the red belt? Or it will not going to be in a continental class. You know, it's still IWGP women's division title. So you have to you have to treat that belt very specially. I mean, like a very special thing, don't you think? To me personally, it feels more like the original intent of the men's IWGP title, you know, when it was just like almost like a tournament trophy that was defended and decided once Once a year. year. You know, it feels more like that to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, they haven't announced, you know, all the details yet, so we could only speculate at this point. Exactly. Yeah, so it's not really like... uh, Stardom belt. It is Stardom belt, and the Rossi will be producing it. I mean, how they handle the you know, belt within you know Stardom structure, but the, you obviously you will still have red belt and the white belt and uh, whatnot. So it just they're adding one more belt. Yeah, and it's like I said, it's like how do you pick the first champion? Do you pick someone known like Kyrie, like we talked about? Or Mayu, or maybe I was thinking someone Julia? who is, I don't know, more like Utami. You could do Utami, and right, she does right. all of her power moves. I think, would, an, would a Western audience react to Utami? You've got to maybe find someone who translates better to a Western audience. Right. Yeah, um, and also it has to be internationally marketable wrestler huh exactly yeah yeah it'll be difficult but uh it'll be very interesting how they you know go about it do you just go with julia she's pretty yeah she's a good wrestler she's got great charisma you know she might be oh oh just and also you know he she looks so ethnically ambiguous right and just yeah, and I she's mean, never international superstar written all over her. Right, it's like maybe maybe you put that's her belt finally that she gets something because she really she's been a leader of her faction, but hasn't really been probably as dominant a wrestler as you might expect. She might be a great choice. Yeah, or somebody like Tekla when yeah. she comes back. Yeah, Tekla's. I love Tekla. She's great. Yeah, she is. I believe she's the like a. Uh, she's like a, like a. To me, she is like a God sent wrestler. Yeah. I mean, she is so in, in, intimate with the ring, the way she handles the ropes and the way she touches the turnbuckles, the way she sits on the canvas. That it's like she treats this wrestling ring like her house. You know, the, the, it comes kind of natural that the, some some people, some wrestler has it, some doesn't. And uh, she has this intimacy with wrestling ring, and yeah. not many people have that. Yeah. It's symbiotic. It's like she's part of it. It's, yeah, it's like nobody else. You're exactly right. Yeah, she the way she treats the wrestling ring, oh, God, she's like very, very natural and very special. And also, she speaks... Pretty perfect Japanese. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, it's more like a Kenny Omega style. Well, that's impressive. Yeah, there's been a lot of wrestlers like Stan Hansen, the Dick Byer, the you know, so many American wrestlers who spent time in Japan. Some people picked up the language well. Medusa spoke pretty good Japanese, you know, if she hasn't forgotten. You know. But uh, Tekla does speak complete sentence, not just words and phrases. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, yeah, Kenny be... Omega's Japanese like, like really, really good, actually. You know, and, and, uh, he was hiding it while she, he was working heel, but the, when he grabbed the microphone and started speaking Japanese, they go, what? I mean, his Japanese is like really, really good. And Texas is the same way, that uh, she speaks pretty good Japanese and it will be uh, she should use that in, in, in uh, as her, you know, I don't know, just something about her. Just uh, she should be star in Japan and in the States at the same time. And a very new generation kind of thing who actually spoke Japanese. And uh, yeah, 
You see, Stan Hansen actually speaks pretty good Japanese, but he never lets it out. You know what I mean? He understands a whole lot more than he can say. and uh, But he never let out, you know? But, uh, yeah, well, actually, Chris, Chris, you know, Chris Jericho speaks pretty good Japanese, but he wouldn't, you know, because it's not perfect. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, but the Tekla speaks pretty good. I mean, like a really, you know, grammatical and uh, the, the pronunciation is good. She has vocabulary and speaks complete sentence with right grammar. It's like amazing. You know, it's impressive to think, and we've just listed four or five potential candidates for this IWGP title. IWGP but women's title, yeah. It really speaks to the roster that... Oh, there's so many stars now? You could pick any one of these women. There's others we haven't named. You have a lot of potential strong candidates for this title. Oh, yeah. So handled right, it will be a very good thing. He's got a lot of well, options well, in a lot of directions. International market. Who would you choose? Uh, Iwatani. Yeah, she'd be a good choice. Yeah, she's an icon, yeah. and also, but also she's a type of superstar that doesn't need the belt right now. No, she doesn't. The you only thing she's icon. Her nickname is Icon of Stardom, and uh, she gives you four star match any given night. Yeah, I think and... it would take a little bit of time for her to get over to a Western audience, but she would get over to a Western audience. Yeah, and then also it has to be a Japanese wrestler who uh, look like Japanese anime, right? Maybe. I mean, that would be for international marketing purpose. It depends. I guess, yeah. you know it all depends on you know what the vision of the title. Obviously, Kadani wanted the title. You know, it it depends on do they want someone like Mayu. Or yeah. do they want, you know, a pretty girl like Julia or something? You know, what do they want to represent the title the first time? Yeah. If it was international you know, market girl. only, then Kyrie would be the biggest candidate. Right. Do you want a big star, a pretty star like Kyrie to do it, who's well known? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, she doesn't have to defend the title every tour. Right. And when I say pretty, it's not that Mayu isn't pretty, but that really isn't part of the Mayu image. Mayu's image is uh, different when you think about Mayu Iwatani and what she projects. Not that she isn't pretty. I'm just saying that's less a part of the Mayu Iwatani uh, persona. And also, she, as, as a wrestler, as a worker, she's so... like. Never selfish, you know what I'm saying? Right. She's the way she works. Yeah. She's made a lot of stars on that roster. Yeah. So never selfish and always willing to put a good match for the entire, I mean, six man tag, I mean, six women tag team situation or eight women tag team situation or battle royal situation. I mean, she's in there and she doesn't really demand to be in the main event. That is still icon, yeah. The other thing is if you have the belt, you crown a champion, no matter who it is. Now, how do you tell the stories for the challenger to challenge for these, the, the, these, this? IWGP title? Yeah. The challenger has to be, you know, somebody important too. Right. Very difficult. Especially if it's just... Having another championship is one thing, but to, to, to defend it in the big show, you have to have meaningful opponent too, huh? That means you got to build up that opponent. It's like if it's just a special occasion belt, how do you book that so fans care? It's like I guess you've got to spotlight the challenger, send them All right. to Let's America. Let's assume it's in an international market purpose that yeah. the IWGP women's title will be defended uh, within New Japan Strong Show, yeah. that American version of New Japan in the show, and also AEW pay-per-view that you'll have AEW women's American opponent or something. I'm sure and, they'll figure it out. 
Yeah. These yeah. are things so they've already thought interesting, of. Interesting, because this is like, you know, it's pretty difficult, you know, that uh, to have meaningful run as a champion and, and like a, what IWGP Women's Title means. And uh, yeah, they're just creating something really new, and it has to mean something. It has to be good. Well, Rossi's <laughs> pretty. He's got a pretty great run, as far as. His company has grown during this very challenging pandemic era. So I think he yeah. knows what he's doing. I think he'll figure it out if he hasn't already. Yeah, and uh, their business is, you know, Stardom's business is still good, very good. And also, w w because of this pandemic thing, that the live streaming thing uh, became, the big show became each and every big show became pay-per-view on uh, the internet pay-per-view and they're charging like 4,000 yen, like $40. Uh, that uh, they're like a, Their revenue is just as good as you know, running one one extra house shows. You know what I'm saying? Right. Every time. Yeah. So market has expanded within internet, you know, that the cyber world. Just make sure you make him pay when you guys go out because he's, he's making all the money now. I'm just kidding. Maybe. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. He, he is like almost stress-free right now because he doesn't have you know have to really worry about paying everybody right. and make and meet kind of thing. That the, he is also get, getting paid as a the, the executive producer, and he doesn't own the company anymore. That but he's there every show and running a show. It's like almost like his headaches are gone. You know what I'm saying? Money-wise. I saw a picture on Twitter of him in Tokyo with Ultimo Dragon. And I think... Uh, El, oh, those El, are good friends. Helio Del Santo. Oh, oh. Did you know Rossi is a big, huge Lucha fan? Yes. And he has all the masks. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They're like a collector's. Yeah, it's like a scary. How many how, hundreds of real male mascots, mask and uh, whatnot, and just he has all that at home, you know, for for himself, I guess. Right. Yeah. So it's, a, it's just kind of like you know the big wrestling fan growing up, <laughs> or something. And Ultimate Dragon Asai and Rossi are friends. Goes way back, you know, like thirty plus years. And when Rossi travels to Mexico, he stays at Ultimate Dragon's house. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when El Hijo del Santo came, Rossi, of course, will go, go meet, you know, meet him. Hey, was it there... was Ultimate Dragon's 35-year anniversary show that took place last weekend. Oh, really? I missed that, darn it. Yeah. Ultimo Dragon against El Hijo del Santo. It wasn't in Tokyo. It was in Kobe. It's a Dragon Gate big show. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to follow because uh, Dragon Gate is not based in Tokyo. It's an interesting case that, that, that the headquarters in Kobe, like uh, next to Osaka. So it's like basically Osaka and Kobe-based company. Gotcha. Yeah, I was wondering why El Hijo del Santo was in town because I saw the picture. That's oh, why. They okay. had the single match, Ultimate Dragon against El Hijo de, El Santo, that the Ultimate Dragon's 35-year anniversary show that uh, he wanted to have the real El, El, El Hijo del Santo. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. I bet you that was great. I'll, I'll just look that up. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, Ultimate Dragon's idea that uh, you have to have somebody special from Mexico to do that. Yeah. It's amazing. He can still go. Yeah, it's not like they're in, I mean, neither of them, you know, El, El, El Ifo del Santo or Ultimate Dragon, they're not in their prime time, but the, the way they put together matches, like more of a Yave Jave, that the, not flying necessary, but the, you'll have this classic Lucha Libre, you know, and uh, yeah, they're like a, getting to be more and more like Mil Maskers, if you know what I mean. Yeah, we saw Mil Maskers at... Uh... At the Giant Baba show with the Dos Caras. Yeah, hey, yeah um, and then the, the, the 70 plus year, I mean, maybe even 80 year old, then because nobody really knows Mil Maskers' the real age, right? right. But the, 
Mill maskers, that's the real mill maskers, and he's still doing a big cross body off the top rope. <laughs> it was incredible. I mean, it was Kazayashi, and I forget who he was. Nosawa. There we go. Thank you. And yeah. they flew around for the maskers <laughs> brothers. It of was amazing. You would. It was amazing. Hey, speaking of uh, seventy-year-old guys wrestling, did. Uh, Ric Flair's last match get any traction in Japan? In Japan, some, not as much as what it was in the States. Like, well, it didn't have pay-per-view in Japan. And the only thing was that the short YouTube clip that was on YouTube that the hardcore fans will find it, but they didn't really make big announcement in Japan. And uh, I guess... Um, for to understand this Ric Flair phenomenal thing, that it's kind of like a two different generation of you know Japanese wrestling fan who understand Ric Flair, the ones who followed WWE career, or the older fans who look at Ric Flair as NWA World Champion from you know 80s and 90s kind of thing, and and also that the World Champion who came to Japan. Old Japan, New Japan, that the that the Jumbo Tsura's opponent, Fujinami's opponent, and largely retired wrestler, and also WWE Hall of Fame. So it's like this last match thing didn't have as much hype in Japan. So uh, it's just unfortunate that it's a, some people thought it was a really bad match, right? I I watched it. It wasn't all that bad. You know what I'm saying? What do you expect from you know seventy year old guy? that uh, still did the figure four and uh yeah the finish was interesting that the figure four leg lock that the one two three pinned but the rick flair's shoulder was down too actually you know yeah i think he was but, passed uh, out he wore shirt yeah uh, i didn't think he was as bad as some people you know wrote up uh, on twitter and and facebook or social media type of it's how bad he was i didn't think it was all that bad what do you think how uh, how big of a star was uh, i mean obviously he, he won the title from Kerry in japan he uh, had the controversial finish with uh, Fujinami at the Japanese starcade yeah. oh, years before that <laughs> early 80s jumbo tsuda challenged Jump, younger Jumbo challenged Ric Flair. I mean, his how, initial run. I mean, obviously he had some tours, but how big of a star was he? Um, it was always a guest kind of appearance because he didn't have regular, you know, tour like other NWA champion. Hardy Race, Terry Funk, Jack Briscoe, Dory Funk, they all, you know, came a lot more often. And after NWA, you know, that the Crockett promotion had exclusive contract with Ric Flair, Ric Flair, you know, traveled less and less, huh? Right. And also, it was always NWA Crockett and later on WCW against WWF, WWE. He became so, a company champion. Just wrestling guys from the, the company. The U.S. domestic scene was so important that the NWA champion Ric Flair didn't really travel as much outside of America. Right. Yeah. And also, it was, see, Giant Baba always challenged Hardy Race for the title or Jack Briscoe for the title. But when Ric Flair came in as NWA champion, Baba stopped challenging for the title and it was Jumbo or Tenru. And, and, and when WCW had a business partnership with NW at the, the New Japan Pro Wrestling, at the, you know they had the big Tokyo Dome show that you just mentioned. It was Ric Flair against Fujinami, not necessarily Antonio Inoki. But when they had this special match in North Korea with 150,000 people, that it was Ric Flair against Inoki that the once, but it was the only time they, they wrestled against each other. A special, very special superstar, but uh, it's not like Stan Hansen or Bruiser Brody or, you know, these regular American superstar. Ric Flair were always treated like almost guest appearance. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's like a different perception, a little bit. So uh, we're in tournament time 
It's tournament season yeah. in Japan. G1 Climax and yeah. the uh, climaxing. And next uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, three consecutive dates at the Budokan. I'm going the uh, uh, final two nights or three nights out of my house. <laughs> It'll be, uh, well, I might do that. I, um, I um, applied for the the pass, so I uh, I will go to two of the three Budokan show. Well, let's and uh, right let's now talk, then. that uh, Pro Wrestling Noah has N one in a singles tournament, right. and Stardom has five star Grand Prix that that's also singles tournament, and All Japan Pro Wrestling has Kings Road uh, tournament. It's a tournament season, I, I suppose. Yeah, it's tournaments. We'll uh, do a show after the last Budokan show. How about that? Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, Who will be your pick uh, for the winner of this this year's G1 Climax? You know, it's hard, huh? This year is hard because there's, I don't know. Um, I mean, it will probably come down to Okada against Jay White again. Probably. Yeah, it's probably going to be Okada. I mean, they'll probably. I mean, it's, you know, you've got to. It's going to be Okada against. You know, probably challenging Jay White at Tokyo Dome or something like that. Yeah, or the final of G1 could be Okada against Naito, maybe. But they've done it so many times. Yeah. Naito against Okada, Naito uh, that the Okada against Jay White. It will probably not Tanahashi, you know. And uh, it's like all come down to three wrestlers: Okada, Jay White, and and Naito, huh? You know, it's not that I don't like those guys, but they could really use. And there's, you know, there's, there's fresh meat. Yeah, one more superstar, huh? They could to be use, elevated. Like a new guy, someone new and fresh. They could really, really use that. But I don't know if it's, you know, they don't seem to be. If I were, if I were book booker for New Japan Pro Wrestling, you know, uh, I'm gonna make Jeff Cobb a monster. That would be my choice too. Yeah, like a Vader, Scott Norton level superstar, like a big monster, that's an unbeatable monster. Yeah, it's like... And I think Jeff Cobb has it. Yeah. For some reason, it takes New Japan forever to elevate a guy. Yeah, that's just kind of the way it is. If you give Sanada a chance, he can do it too. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, but just they don't look at it like he, I mean, he's not ready for that spot or something. See, Sanada is, is hand him the ball and let him run with it, you know, sometimes. Yeah, I thought. I'll, I'll put Jeff Cobb and I'll, I would make him a monster, monster, Vader, uh, Scott Norton type of big, huge monster, unbeatable guy. Yeah, no, I agree with you. You should definitely. And also, he is willing to spend time in i mean he basically lives here in japan yeah no i think it's a great fit you know there's a lot of new guys in the g1 this year there's jonah there's tom lawler um yeah yeah but i mean obviously when you're new in the g1 card wild card like uh, juice robinson or somebody yeah juice there's (laughs) but i mean there's new guys and it's like i don't know it's I, it's not the Japanese way, but they could really use somebody new to kind of freshen some things up a little bit. Yeah, put him in the main event cluster. Yeah, they could really, yeah. really be freshened up. I think it really needs that. Not that. Yeah, because three three guys we just mentioned, Kazuchika Okada and JY and the Naito, those three are way, way above everybody else right now. So. Yeah, it's really hard to have one more guy to you know put it, being put in a cluster. And but great, you need four, you know a fourth guy though. Yeah. And credit because of Jay White's injuries, he's kind of been out, so he's he's maybe fresher than he would be. But you know he's been around a while too, and I'm not saying get rid of any of these guys. I'm just saying they would all benefit from a brand new fresh opponent for all of them. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I agree with you completely. Yeah, yeah I'm not saying, and they all yeah, still have value. Five top guys in one company, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just the Japanese way. 
<laughs> well, not that I, you know, be, you know, agree with it completely, but uh, New Japan has a way. I mean, their way of doing things. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe in time, maybe over the fall, we'll see something. I don't know. You know yeah. who's kind of won me over? His uh, Great Ocon. Yeah. He's kind of won me over. At first, I was like, this is, you know, the old Killer Con gimmick. I don't know that this is something that's going to apply to modern sensibilities, but he's kind of yeah. won me over. I, I kind of enjoy him. Yeah, and also, he does have legitimate amateur college wrestling background and yeah. kickboxing and Muay Thai MMA background that he really has legitimate athletic and combat sport background, you know, yeah. background. It he, he he is just turning into a character, you know. Like he believe in he believes in this Okan character now that he does it so well. So, but it's a strong gimmick that not really like your champion type. No, not a champion type. But you know, like you said, with his background, I was like, why is he doing this? This seems kind of counterintuitive to his legitimate background, but I... Well, but he knows that worked. he's not exactly a handsome, good-looking guy, and right. he wants to have this, you know, character gimmick kind of thing. Yeah. And he enjoys that. No, and he doesn't always have the best matches, but he's just likable. There's a certain uh, likability to him that that I enjoy. Yeah, totally won you over, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I like him too. Yeah, yeah, he's a very interesting, interesting wrestler. Yeah, I've I've kind of come, uh, come around to to Great Ocon. I enjoy. Yeah. I enjoy also, body wise, the height and the weight and the size of you know, his body size. That's main event heavyweight. Yeah, you can always yeah. pivot him. He's not, he's not a little guy or skinny guy. You know, you can always yeah. pivot and change him if you need to. It's not it's not gonna kill him. Yeah, or he can turn into Hashimoto, like, you know, like yeah. a killer kind of guy. Exactly. Well, I can't be killer con. We've already had that. <laughs> no, I mean, like more Hashimoto style. Right, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Well, New Japan has so many guys that all they have to do is change them a little bit. Yeah. And market them a little, little differently. Oh, they. Yeah, I'll make Jeff Cobb and Sanada would be my candidate. No, I agree with you. I agree. That's the thing. There is such a dearth of talent everywhere you look in wrestling. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Even. Oh, right now? Yeah. I mean, even in smaller companies like All Japan or in Impact, there's. You know, some very super talented people at every level yeah. of the business now. It's there really is an embarrassment of riches. And also it's a lot easier now to watch them through the internet, yeah. you know, streaming service and the programming, or even uh, YouTube the night after that happened. Right. Yeah. You know, even you know, like here in Seattle, we have Defy and uh right. You know, they've got incredibly talented people who work there and come in regularly. I mean, at every level, there's so much talent. Hey, um, one more thing before we wrap up. Yeah. Jungle... I do have one more thing before we wrap up, too. Okay. Jungle Kiona. That the Chris, Christopher, that the Christopher Daniels uh, make an appearance for Pro Wrestling Noah instead of New Japan. Oh, really? Oh, that's right. I saw yeah, that. Christopher Daniels for Pro Wrestling Noah. Like I, I, I believe I believe he's coming in as a wrestler, but right. uh, he'll sit down with the company and talk business too. Well, that's interesting, isn't it though? Because he's he's talent relations for AEW. Yeah, so you would think he would come to New Japan, right? But this time he's coming and you know making you know couple dates with Pro Wrestling Noah as a wrestler, but I'm sure he'll be sitting sitting down and talk business. He's a great a guy. Level. Christopher Daniels is a great guy. What a nice man. Total perfect. Yeah, yeah. And he used to be a man in Japan too. That's right. 
total professional, ridiculously oh, professional. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, so many years, too. Yeah. yeah. He and I had so this thing on camera companies. where he would yell at me and go off on me. And he was my mortal enemy on camera. But I can say <laughs> off camera, what a what a consummate pro, a professional's professional. Oh, super professional, yes. Yeah. Um, Jungle Kiona is coming to the United States. Yes, yes, as a free agent. Yeah, she's coming yeah. to Portland. So I guess I need to drive down to Portland to see Jungle Kiona. Right, right. Interesting, interesting. And she is another wrestler who wants to, on her own, wants to make it and come to the state side and just test the water, basically. And uh, I, I'm hoping that the sh she'll be working, you know, working a lot of dates in America. Yeah, she said she's she's gonna home base in America. Um, I, I guess she's trying to make it. Yeah. Is she gonna live here, or is she just gonna fly in a lot? Oh yeah. Don't know. Okay. Uh, this is a still first trip. Okay. See what happens. Well, I gotta. I guess oh, I've gotta go to Portland. I'll get my tickets and go to Portland. It's Jungle Kiona. It's about. What is that? About three hours. But I'll go. For Jungle. Yeah, interesting. For Jungle Kiona. Oh, you want to watch that? Watch her. Watch live. You know. I've gotta go see my girl Jungle Kiona. That's good. That's good. All right. <laughs> interesting. All right. Uh, anything else going on? Um. That guess that'll do it we've been talking about an hour now <laughs> yeah even kiki joined in a little bit oh okay well he's out here somewhere <laughs> and he's staying hydrated kiki's staying hydrated yeah yeah okay, drinks a lot of water yes, All right. stay with me so uh how can people uh contact you on social get in touch with you on Twitter, at Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo, on Twitter, or just Fumi Saito on Facebook. Message me first. So they know that you're legit, so you know you're a real person. That's why. <laughs> yeah. You can uh, follow me on Twitter, at uh, Jim Valley. So, until next time. So long from Tokyo. <laughs>